We have a couple more uh, you asked for questions to finish up uh, that series, and then we're going to uh, move on to something else. Uh, today's question has to do with uh, parenting, uh, though it will apply to a lot of other different areas of our life. Um, this series throughout we, I guess, been doing it since the beginning of June, is uh, all questions asked by people, uh, us, in the family. We had a bin out there, and people threw different questions in it. And this question was this, uh, though slightly re reworded, I think. Uh, it says, how do I parent in a godly way? How do I discipline and teach responsibility not to rescue kids from consequences, but remain gracious? And so we're going to uh, just talk generally about parenting today. And we're going to start here in Mark chapter 10. It says this. The parents kept bringing their little children to Jesus. So that he would lay his hands on them and bless them. But the disciples kept rebuking and scolding the people for doing it. And uh, sometimes this happens still today. <laughs> uh, you know, parents bring their you know, kids to church or parents bring their kids to some event. And there's others just like, you know, what are these kids doing here making noise? And, you know, they need to be somewhere else. Um, but it says this. Uh, when Jesus saw what was happening, he became indignant with his disciples. Uh, Jesus didn't get upset very often, but he actually gets upset over this. Now he became indignant with the disciples and said to him, let all the little children come to me and never hinder them. And we don't want to be a church that in any way hinders children from feeling welcome, from enjoying the presence of God, from learning from us as, as a family. Uh, don't you know that the kingdom realm exists for such as these? Listen to the truth I speak. Whoever does not open their arms to receive God's kingdom like a teachable child will never enter it. Then he embraced each child, and laying his hands on them, he lovingly blessed each one. And so Jesus, when the disciples are trying to keep the children away, Jesus says no. And, and Jesus takes, notice it says each child, he gives each of those child a, a hug, and he puts them on his on his knee, and he blesses each one of them. And of course, we know that Jesus only did what the Father said and the Father was doing. And so this, this is a, a, really a revelation of God's heart towards children. Uh, he loves children, and because we want to walk in the same heart that our Heavenly Father has, that we need to have open hearts towards our children and to welcome them, even though sometimes it can be messy or whatever it might be, that they're a part of our, our family. And children can teach us a lot about what it means to be a follower of God. I mean, uh, it talk, talks about here, Jesus says, that whoever does not open their arms to receive God's kingdom like a teachable child will never enter it. We can learn a lot from kids about just being open and vulnerable and expressive and, and, and teachable. And so it is awesome that we have children in, in our midst here. And so having kids is a real blessing in, in life. Now, a couple things uh, just about this talk here. First of all, I'm, I don't come here as a parenting expert, um, though I have almost finished the journey. Marie and I, both of our kids are, James has started college, so both of our kids are in college now. And, um, and, and, uh, they're, they're awesome. At least Marie and I think they're awesome. So I think that's kind of a win for us. We did, we did something right. Although we made plenty of mistakes, too. I mean, there are definitely moments that I look back, I'm just like, oh, what in the world was I thinking? What was I doing? 
And so um, definitely not a perfect parent, but uh, there are things in the Bible that we can look at to help us. Second thing is, is sometimes when you teach on these kind of topics, it can give us as parents or grandparents, you know, a case of the guilties. Uh, because we all know as parents that we are not perfect and we've messed up and there are things uh, that we maybe needed to change. This is a little easier if your kids are younger because they still have time, but sometimes us who are older who look back and go like, man, I really blew it. And you want to make sure that as uh, we just talk through these things that, you don't, that you're not carrying any shame in your heart because of mistakes. I mean, the Bible is very clear that the one who believes in God will never be put to shame. That God in no way is shaming you. No, God is in no way disappointed in you. That he has grace uh, upon you, even upon mistakes that you have made. Even those mistakes outside of parenting. And the good news is, is that God can step in to the most messy situations. And he can work beauty out of it. And, and I know folks who have grown up in the most awful homes. Or the parents have really, really blown it. And they turn out to be beautiful people because of the grace of God. And so uh, don't walk through this in, in, in receiving any shame, but encouragement as you want to help others who have kids or whatever God is going to do in your heart. So we're going to look at three things, kind of three themes that I pulled out. And one is the idea of teaching an example. The second one is the idea of character. And the third, which more directly uh, addresses the question, the idea of consequences and discipline. This is one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, one of the most famous verses, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. And so the commandments of God are not to be something that we just externally hold. They're actually to be, to be in our hearts. And from our hearts, we want to impress them on our children. And one of the ways we can do that is to teach them. And often when we think about teaching our kids, we think of maybe formally reading the Bible to them or teaching them about who God is and maybe Sunday school class and those kind of things. And all those are important and all those are good. But by far, the biggest way you're going to teach your kids is through example. Just everyday living is going to impact your children a million times more than any formal kind of teaching classes that you have. And this is what it's talking about here. It says this, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your forehead, which is symbolic to make them a part of your life, bring them into your heart. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, you're going to be living a kingdom life in front of your kids. The, the, the commandments of God bring them into your heart, and you impress them on your kid, yes, through formal times of teaching, but even more so through example. Uh, they talk about the, 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 the five gospels, the fifth gospel. We, we, had, we only have four in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there's a fifth gospel that your kids will read and absorb far more than the other four, especially when your children are young. And that fifth, fifth gospel is, is you. Uh, Children learn far more about God, far more about life, far more about the kingdom from you and your example than they do from sort of formal training 
or from like Bible reading or, or Bible study. That, that our example needs to be something that we uh, are, are wary about when it comes, comes to our children. We see in the Bible that Paul would actually ask uh, his church, which would be, you know, most are older people. Uh, he says, be imitators of me or follow my example or imitate me. And sometimes we need to say this to adults. Would you follow my example? But you don't have to really say this to kids. They just naturally absorb who you are. When they're young, they're like little sponges. They just absorb your character. They absorb your example. They absorb how you handle difficulty. They absorb how you handle it when you can't pay the bills and their money's not there. They absorb how you relate to your spouse. They, they're just sponges and they absorb. And it, it's like a gospel. It, it is teaching them a lot about, about who God is and, and how you carry your life. Example is a, a huge huge piece. And this is why we have those phrases like, you know, the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. Uh, you know, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, because we know this. I mean, we can look at someone's kid and we're like, Haha, I see your dad and that. And they're like, no, you don't or whatever. Unless they like their dad, they're like, yeah. Uh, but mannerism, characteristics, uh, we see them in our kids because, uh, I mean, most of that's shaped when they're small, but they're like sponges and they absorb those characteristics, they absorb the way you handle life, and that comes primarily through just your example and how you're living, living your life. Uh, this is shown in studies. Uh, James Penner years ago did a study called Hemorrhage and Faith. It was, it was all about why young people aren't staying in the church today. And they, they see today that about one in three Canadian young adults uh, who attended church weekly as kids, only one in three will attend as an adult. And so their question was, why is this? And so they studied thousands of youth across Canada to find out what was the difference between the kids who grew up in church who stayed and the ones who grew up in church and left. And they found it boiled down to really four, four things. And let me just briefly hit you, uh, hit us with those, because it's kind of interesting. Uh, the first one... And one of the biggest, actually, pieces in all four actually had to do with this, experience of God. So in the study, they said that nearly all the young adults who had, have continued to attend church say they've experienced God's love for them personally. They have felt him. In other words, they've had some sort of tangible experience with God where maybe they were healed or maybe they had an emotional experience where they, they sensed God in their body or they've seen amazing answer to prayer. There's something that's just like, wow. God really is real. And those who never felt God or experienced God, and, and, and some, sadly, sometimes churches never teach about experience or teach about you know, healing or miracles or those kind of things. And, and often those, those kids who grew up in churches where there's, there's nothing discipled about the experience of God um, tend to kind of drift away. Because after all, I mean, if we talk about a miracle-working God and, and a God who loves you and is in relationship with you and you're sitting there week after week after week and you never experience him, you never experience him there comes this time where you're like, well, maybe this isn't real. And so experience actually plays a really important role in our faith and teaching our kids how to experience God and how to connect with God because it made actually one of the biggest difference in whether youth stayed or left. The second one had to do about the teachings and belief of the church. Uh, they said this, young people are looking for churches that don't avoid tough topics, are willing to go deep, provide life applications and welcome questions. 
And, uh, and uh, I, I think we're that kind of church because if you've been here for a while, you realize we deal with some difficult things, like it or not. Some people don't like it, but we try to not hide from difficult things that we're wrestling with in the backgrounds. Uh, but this is big. The young people don't want to go to church. It just talks about superficial things. They want, you know, deal with real life, life issues. The third one had to do with, with us, the church community. And this is actually more so once a child reaches closer to the teen years and through their teen years that they actually found that the church community plays actually a larger role than actually the parents themselves. When the kids are young, it's more parents. When they get older, it's actually more about the community. And so uh, they said this, young adults are looking to make connections and find a place of belonging. They are attracted to church communities with as few contaminants as possible. And contaminants were things like uh, the church was judgmental, or the church was hypocritical, or there was a lack of connection, or they didn't really give young people a voice. And so it is actually really important for us to get to know our kids. Uh, you play a huge role. And sometimes we, you know, sometimes we want to put all the weight on parents. It's your job to raise your kids, where God is saying, actually, it's our job. I mean, parents have the, the largest responsibility because they're around, they're around them more, but it's our job. And every one of us, when we come here on Sunday, uh, get to know the names of the young people here. Ask them how they're doing. Connect with them because it plays a huge, huge role um, later on in their faith. It's the church community. And the last one is number four, and because it deals with our subject, is actually parents. Parents played a huge role in whether uh, kids stayed in church or stayed in the faith or not. And so the study said this. Our study confirms that emerging adults raised by parents who attended church regularly, pray regularly, and read their Bible regularly, are far more likely to attend church faithfully as adults than peers with parents who do not engage in these spiritual practices on a regular or even semi-regular basis. And, and he, they actually said that those who had an inconsistent Christian upbringing did no better than those who had no Christian input put at all. In other words, if you just came to church now and then, and you didn't really live out your faith much at home, maybe the odd time, and it was just kind of inconsistent. It was basically, in the study they found, it was just like you had no Christian influence at all in your life. And so they found it's got to be real in the home, real in the parent's life. As James Penner said, if parents model a vibrant faith, their children are likely also to engage in a vibrant faith that is likely to extend into their adult years. In other words, the, the children look at the parents and they say, Man, it looks real. My mom and dad, they lean on God, and there's something about, again, that, that it's the example piece. In fact, one gal in the study said, uh, said this, just to quote a gal named Jasmine. Uh, she says, my mom, who, who lived it, like I would see her reading her Bible every night and praying, and I knew that her relationship with Jesus was something that was real. I think seeing how real my mom's relationship with the Lord was did and continues to really challenge me and inspire me to consider the way that I live. And so uh, if, if you want to parent well, especially when your kids are small and growing up, um, just love on God. Make it a part of your life. Make being a part of a, a community, whether it's a, a small church community or this church community or any other church community, make that a big part of it. And make sure... You're going to a church community that, that doesn't just encourage the intellectual side, which is good, but also the experiential side. Because that is important for young people who 
are growing up. In essence, when it comes to example, your life is really teaching theology to your kids. Whether you like it or not, your example, the way you walk through your life, is teaching your kids theology about who God is. You're teaching your kids theology about how God responds to difficulty. You're, you're teaching a theology about is God loving or is he angry? What does he do when I mess up? Because um, we talk about even in the Father's Heart School that, that sometimes little kids, their, their first God is actually their parents. And, and, and the way we parent actually uh, teaches, teaches theology. We can see this. In, in little kids, and, and you, you just see that in this. You could take, like, say, a, an eight or a ten-year-old or something like this, and you could read this passage. When the cool evening breeze breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, "Where are you?" Now, depending on how that child was parented, um, would often depend on how they read this text. Because it doesn't say how God said, where are you? If you find a child who's grown up in a home where there's a lot of anger, you know, yeah, I can't believe you messed up again, you know, whatever, and name calling and shaming and, and a lot of fear and overbearing authority. I guarantee you that little kid's going to read this. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Well, come on here, I'm going to get you because you messed up and you sinned. And that's the way they, because their parents' life is laid out a theology of who God is by the way they live. Now, you take a child who grew up in a, in a home that was loving and filled with grace and had you know, proper consequences, but it was surrounded by love and teaching about the heart, would, would probably read this, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Let's come back into relationship. Let's work this out together. The reality is you are teaching your kid far more about who God is by your example than through your words. Uh, far more is caught than taught in parenting. And so the best thing you can do as a parent, uh, if you have small kids, is to deal with your stuff. The best gift you could possibly give your kids is to deal with your stuff, deal with your brokenness, deal with those strongholds in your life. Uh, run to God and model that before your kids so that they see that your faith is real and that your faith is actually transforming you and that God is doing an amazing thing. And that impacts kids more than anything else that you can possibly think about. Uh, secondly, it has to do with character. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about our character. And we tend to, in this world, prioritize a lot of things in our kids' life other than, than character. Uh, we can prioritize things like, um, you know, the thing I want most of my kids is to be a super sports star, you know, maybe because, you know, I wanted to be a sports star, it didn't work out, so I'm going to make my kid the sports star, or, you know, uh, you know, I'm always broke, so the last thing I ever want is a kid who is broke, so they need to make money, I don't care if they like their job or not, they need to work towards money, that that's my number one goal, or, you know, uh, fame, I want my kid to be famous, you know, uh, just be famous, and that becomes the number one goal, or uh, maybe it's... You know, they got to be a doctor or an engineer, so you need straight A's. And you press your kids to get straight A's. And if they fail, they're angry. And the number one goal has to do with fame or power or money or something else. When the Bible would say, maybe those things are good. Maybe you become famous. Maybe you become rich. Maybe you're straight. Maybe you are a super Olympian. That's awesome. But what about your character? What about the heart? That everything is to flow from the heart, that more than anything else, our heart 
And the way that's expressed, especially in loving people, is more important than anything else. So when we're parenting, we need to put the priority on the character of our kids more so than some of our dreams we, we have for them. I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, we could read this with a bit of a parental twist to it. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. He said, your kid can be a millionaire, but if he's not loving, there's something missing. Your kid be, could be an Olympian, a straight-A engineer, a doctor, you know, super uber, whatever he is or she is. But if they don't have a loving character, there's something missing. The Bible would say that the emphasis of our parenting is in the character and, and in their heart, more so than, you know, the dreams we might have for them or their own dreams of what they want to be, that a loving character is incredibly important. In fact, Paul would put it this way. That the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so we could even put this into parenting. That the one thing that counts for us as parents is that our faith will express itself through love, but also that our kids' faith, that their character would have this, this loving uh, aroma to them. Paul in Galatians 5 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the, the, the Bible is summed up in one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now you might say, well, what about the loving God thing? I thought that was like the number one command. And Paul says it's all fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself because the reality is you can't love in an other-centered, self-sacrificial way unless God is flowing mightily in your heart. And so this, this is a love for God, but it's primarily tested. People's love for God is primarily tested and revealed in their love for other people. I mean, James talked about this. I mean, you can, you can say you love God, but if you don't love people, there's something off. And so uh, to see in your kids that their love for God would be manifested in a love for others is something that we want to be parenting our children towards. And, uh, and to hold that as, as, as high, high, more high than, than anything else. And uh, this was one thing, despite all Marie and I's mistakes, that, uh, you know, right off the bat when our kids were small, we were like, you know, what we want our kids more than anything else is, is, is character that looks like Jesus. Right off the bat, we started with that, and, and we were con constantly parenting character more so than you got to be in this or that, and you got to accomplish this, and we were parenting towards character. And there are some things in, in, in our lives as parents where, when we talk about our kids like this, you know, we really messed you up in this area, but... Uh, I think it's one area where Maria can at least give us a little high five because, I mean, uh, at least I think our, our kids have great character. And they're very loving towards others. In fact, uh, when Jeremy and James graduated from Mount Sentinel, both of them, in uh, different years, got the, the which, what, a major school award. That they got the, the Friendship Award, uh, which just speaks of this. And so, you know, that's one area where we worry high five. There's other areas where Maria are like, messed up there. Uh, <laughs> but parent towards loving character. 
make this a priority. And so uh, when you see things that are not loving as your kids get older, try to, try to shape that. And one way we, we shape it uh, has to do with consequences and discipline. And the other theme you see in the scriptures when it comes to raising your kids, besides teaching and example and, and, and helping shape their character, is this idea of discipline and consequences. Uh, we see in Ephesians 4, it says fathers. Uh, we can put mothers in today because back then it was primary fathers who did that kind of stuff. But fathers and moms, moms and dads, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So right off the bat, uh, we see that any kind of discipline, any kind of consequence that, that happens, that parents bring down on their kid, is not to bring your kids to anger. And often what happens when parents discipline, their kids just get mad at the parents, and, and, and they, they bring their kids to anger and resentment because my dad is mean, and they're horrible, and he's angry, and he shames me, and it's just awful, and... And right off the bat, the Bible says, when you discipline, don't bring your kids to anger. Um, and so it means we got to parent in a different way than <coughs> anger and fear tactics or whatever it might be. Uh, Dr. Kristen uh, Conde said this. Christian who have the lowest, uh, children, sorry, who have the lowest self-esteem have no rules and no consequences. Children with a little bit higher self-esteem <coughs> have rules and consequences. But the children with the highest self-esteem have rules, consequences, and explanations. In other words, whenever you bring any kind of discipline to your kids, you need to tell them why, you need to explain it, and you need to bring it back to what is going on in their heart, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And so it is important, if we wanna shape our kids in the right way, that we do uh, figure out this discipline thing and how to, how to let them experience consequences in certain ways so that we can shape our kids to be healthy, healthy adults. Uh, the Bible talks about consequences in Galatians 6. It says, for what you plant always, uh, for what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant the corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the spirit. So what you, you sow, you reap, what you plant, you harvest, this is just a, a law that shapes our universe and shapes our life. And you need to make sure your kids understand this. That there are consequences when we say words. In Proverbs 18, the tongue is the power of life or death. That the words our kids say can build up and bless or can tear down and destroy. And so our job is to help them understand this. And what sometimes parents do is they want to protect their kid from all consequences. And then when the, the kid gets older and enters the real world, all of a sudden they're like, why in the world when I'm yelling at my wife does she hate me? You know, why is it that, you know, I got fired for the fifth time? And it's because they've been sheltered from consequences and they haven't learned that when you get angry, there's consequences. When you lie, there's consequences. When you're really, really rude and unloving, there's consequences. Uh, and so this idea of teaching your kid uh, consequences. And, and there's lots of ways to do this. And you can research this uh, on your own on the Internet. But uh, one way you want to do this is to, to teach them choices. Maybe more so when they get a little bit older. But I don't know, I mean, if your kid is, you know, tipped over the pot of flour, <laughs> you could say to them, um, 
You know, that's really not a good thing. Uh, you have a choice. You cannot tip over the pot, uh, the, the, the pot of flour and things are gonna be uh, great or whatever and uh, it's just, you're gonna be loving to, loving to mom and dad or you can choose to tip over the pot of uh, flour but there's gonna be consequences. So to tell them beforehand, so they have a choice, begin to see that I have a choice before me and my heart can make that choice and if I go here, there's gonna be life but if I go here, you know, maybe there's gonna be trouble. And so teach your kids about consequences. The other most important thing, and we talked about this a little bit, is that whenever you discipline or break consequences, you are teaching your kids theology. You are teaching them about, uh, about authority. And little kids, just like some of us adults, have a natural rebellion to authority. So the way we parent, we teach our kids what authority is like. And so if we are constantly yelling at our kids and being rude <coughs> to our kids or you know, disciplining them out of, out of just we're freaking out or whatever it might be, you're teaching them that that's what authority is like. If you shame your kids whenever they mess up and I don't want to be around you anymore, get out of here, you're a mess, you're teaching them that's what authority is like, right from when they're small. And so they start to grow up, they begin to understand, on one hand, if you're doing this right, that authority is loving, it draws near to me, it cares for me, um, from my heart, or you can grace them in a way where authority is scary and it's mean and it's horrible and I feel awful whenever I'm around authority. So when they grow up, they just have a hatred towards authority. And a lot of times they might have difficulty when it comes to, to God. And I've met lots of people, uh, sometimes uh, people who are just, uh, uh, trying to get uh, experience Christianity who have a hard time calling God Father. And a lot of that boils down to the theology <laughs> that was taught by their dad. And so we want to make sure when we are exercising authority that it is done in a godlike way. Because how you discipline, how you bring your authority is teaching them what God is like. There's a passage on discipline in Hebrews 12. It's talking about the father's discipline towards us. But again, we want to, just as Jesus only did what he saw the father doing, we want to parent that way. In Hebrews 12, it says, fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who, have, uh, who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. In other words, discipline is a sign that you are loved by God. I mean, I don't go around and discipline your kids. Now, I love your kids, but they're not my kids. I mean, discipline is a sign of, of closeness and relationship, and the same with God. When you, when you enter under the Father, he lovingly at times uh, disciplines, and usually that is just by allowing us to, to face the consequences of our own mess-ups. Uh, we should welcome uh, God's discipline as a validation of authentic sonship, for if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers, even though they corrected and disciplined? Now, obviously, some people don't respect them, but uh, then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood, as it seemed good to them, but God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share in his holiness. Now, all discipline seems 
to be more pain than pleasure at the time, yet it later it will produce a harvest, uh, produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield it. So we see that God as authority, God as Father, His discipline is always life-giving. That God as Father, His His correction is, it says, for our own good. And what can happen is sometimes parents can discipline for their own good. You're annoying me right now, and I'm trying to watch TV, and it's annoying me, so you discipline them for your own good. <laughs> or uh, whatever it might be, you know, I want my kids to look like this, so I'm going to discipline to make them look like, look like just like I want them to look. But God is, it's life-giving. It's always life-giving, which means always about the heart. It's, 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 it's considering their good. And so as parents, when we discipline or correct, we need to make sure it's for their good. And it's, it's life-giving, not, not life Life sucking. Second thing, or third thing, about this topic is to watch out for being a pharisaical parent. And this is the parent who just forgets what it's like to be a kid or a teenager. <laughs> and they think, I would never do that kind of thing. I mean, how I mean, how could you be my son and do that? I mean, I can't believe you're so selfish. Really? I think you know exactly why your kids are selfish, because we do the same thing. I mean, in Luke chapter 18, there's the parable of the tax collector and the sinner. And it says, it says, this is the Pharisee. One was a proud religious leader, and the other a despised tax collector. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed. How I thank you, O God, that I am not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters, swindlers, crooks, like that tax collector over there, or like my kid, or whatever. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week. I give you a tenth of all I make. I have it all together. And, and sometimes we can carry this into our parenting. Like, I can't believe you, you took that toy from that kid. I can't believe you got angry over that. I can't believe you're so selfish. Actually, if you look into your own heart, you know exactly why, because we do the same thing. We just kind of do it in a more adult way at times, right? Uh, when, when traffic is frustrating or, you know, someone at work says something nasty about you. I mean, uh, it's not helpful when you say to your kid, I don't understand you. I don't know why you did that. It's a whole different thing when you say to your kid, I know what that's like. And uh, when I'm struggling with this, you know, I run, I run to the father who embraces me and helps me and gives me life in that area. Again, it's modeling to your kids what a vibrant faith looks like. A lot of parents might uh, model to their kids what a Pharisee looks like. But we don't want to model Pharisaicalism. We want to model, model what it looks like for someone who needs God and leans on God and wrestles with the same stuff as your kids. And so which means that when it comes to parenting, you need to focus on, on the heart. So you want to focus on the heart and not, uh, not outward behavior. Now, it's nice when your kids behave outwardly, but again, what is the benefit is your kids are perfectly obedient on the outside, but their hearts are nasty. It's what a Pharisee is. Had it all together, but in the end, their, their hearts were off. Luke chapter 6 says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Or, or Matthew 15, the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. So anything that your kid does that annoys you or is not aligned to the kingdom, it's actually coming from their heart. 
The same place when we are selfish and when we're nasty to others and we do things that are not loving towards, it's coming from our heart. So if we're just parenting outward behavior, we're missing where it's all coming from. And so uh, uh, a lot of the good teaching on parenting uh, goes back to the heart. After all, when it came to the tax collector and the, and, and the, and the sinner, in the end, uh, Jesus said, which one of them left home that day made right with God? It was the humble tax collector, not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all, and everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. The tax collector, who was pretty messy on his outward behavior, was actually the one who had the right heart. The one who had all the behavior in place, who looked like an immaculate person, was not right before God because their heart was not right. And so again, when we parent, we want to parent to the heart. We want to talk to them and help them to begin understanding what's going on in their heart. And so um, sort of three common ways that miss the heart when it comes to consequences and discipline are these three things. Now, we can parent out of fear. We can parent through reward. We can parent through shame. Fear is like, I want my kids to fear me because I am the authority, so they listen to me. So when you mess up, I get mad. And your kids know that, so they're afraid of you. I don't want to make dad mad. I don't want to make mom mad, so I'm going to obey. But that obedience doesn't come from the heart. That obedience comes from fear. When the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. So we can parent in, in a way that's just about fear. If you do that again, you're going to get it, and I'm going to come and smash things or whatever it might be. Or maybe you just blow up and break things as a parent, and it scares your kids. And it's parenting out of fear. That's, it's a power tactic that misses the heart. Reward can be another one. Now, there is a good place for reward, and you can use this in your parenting. But you don't want to have this as your, your main way to shape your kids because when you say things like Johnny if you're really good for to your sister for a whole month you're gonna get a bike and so he's really good to his sister for the whole month but the whole motivation is reward it's selfish I just want my bike and after I got my bike Sally yeah! I mean it, again it's missing the heart and uh, and and eventually those kids if you only parent through reward will we'll end up being husbands who look at their wife and saying, you know, I'm only going to love you when you do what I want. Where's my reward for being such a good husband, you know? Again, it, it shapes more of a selfishness, uh, but there is a place for it. Reward can be a good thing. Jesus used reward, but it shouldn't be your main, main way of parenting if you miss the heart. The other way of parenting is shame. Get out of here. I don't want to see your face right now. You can't be my kid. Shame. You know, how could you do that? I mean, how... I can't even call you my son right now, or whatever shaming tactic, tactic it is. I mean, it just makes kids feel horrible and broken. And again, it's not teaching the right theology about who God is and uh, God is authority. And so um, we want to make sure we're getting at the heart. Uh, Ted Tripp, <clears throat> there's a lot of good things to say about parenting. Um, he uses these five questions that I think are helpful that get at the heart. You may have to shape them depending on the age of your kid. Uh, so these five questions are this, and this is parenting that goes from the heart because all behavior goes from the heart. We don't just want external, we, we want heart work. And so, because uh, you meet adults sometimes who don't know how to read their own heart. 
I mean, they're angry, but they don't even know where it's coming from because they've never been taught that the things we say and do, they come from our heart. So right from an early age, you want to teach your kids about reading their heart, and they have a choice from that, that, and then that can be good, life-giving, or that can be death. And so these five questions. Uh, what was going on? Ten questions. Uh, what were you thinking and feeling as this happened? Uh, what do, uh, did you do in response? Why did you do it? What was the result? And so uh, let's say you are a parent and you're sitting there, you know, on the kitchen table, and all, all, all of a sudden you hear that dreaded, ah! you know, and you run back there and you, and you, you realize your daughter's got a big red cheek and, and your son there is looking really guilty, <laughs> right? You think that uh, someone just hit another person. Uh, you could parent out of fear, you know, uh, I can't believe you did this, how dare you hit that person and you smack them around, basically doing the same thing they did. And fear-based parenting, uh, you could do reward, you know, don't hit your sister and we'll give you a chocolate bar later. It's like, okay, I almost hit my sister because I selfishly want a chocolate bar, but it's not, again, missing the heart. You can, you can parent out of shame. Um, uh, you, can, you can say things to, 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 to little Johnny, uh, tell your sister you're sorry, you know, sorry. No, you gotta take it, say it from the heart. Sorry. No, you really gotta say it from your heart. So you're like, oh, fine, you know, then you'll leave, right? But again, it's missing the heart. That's not a real apology. Because they're still like wired, and you know, the, the, we get this the amygdala override, we're in fight and flight mode where we can't think straight, and your kids get like that, and so you're trying to reach their heart when they're freaking out. These questions also help calm your kid down so you can talk with them. Uh, but it looked like this. So, so in that situation, you come in, you realize that uh, you think Johnny hit Sally, and so you, you look at Johnny and say, what was going on? And you know, he might say, she took my truck. You know, what were you thinking and feeling as this happened? And you know, mad. You know, maybe it's just a little kid who doesn't quite understand. You're mad, that's how I was feeling. What did you do in response? You know, I hit Sally. Well, why did you do it? Well, she took my truck. Well, what was the result? You know, trouble, you know, whatever it might be. But all of a sudden, you are actually teaching your child that this is coming from their heart. And if you consistently do this as your kids get older, more and more they begin to understand their heart, they begin to understand their consequences. And, and from there, you can take it where, as you would. But now that they're calmed down, they may be in a place to actually, from their heart, say, you know, Sally, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe they're still a bit resistant, and you've got to use some other discipline technique or whatever it might be. Uh, but you want to be teaching from, from the heart. Uh, but in the end, uh, there's just so much grace from God over uh, that's available to us as parents. There are times when we will just not know what to do. I have no idea what to do with my son right now. I have no idea what to do with my daughter right now. Uh, but we serve a God who speaks. And sometimes you can get great parenting advice from your Heavenly Father. Because he's the best parent. So run to him. Uh, if you're someone here who's just been hurt by, by your own parents, again, there's this grace for you in, in, in the presence of God and then how he works uh, in, our, in our lives.